Welcome to the Global French Food Review podcast. My name is James Mawson, founder and editor-in-chief of our publications Global Corporate Venturing, Global University Venturing and Global Impact Venturing. Delighted to be back starting a new year with Thierry Hellis. We're both on the call together. Welcome, Thierry. Hello, Jim. Happy New Year and Happy New Year to our listeners. Yeah, it feels like it, doesn't it? It feels like not just a new year, but a new decade. And I don't know about you, but I kind of feel there's a new spring in people's step. I don't quite know what it is, but it felt like it was kind of dribbling away back end of the, the 2010s and uh, teenage years and all that. And uh, it feels like people are going into the into their 20s kind of uh, feeling a bit more bouncy and optimistic. It might just be me. I don't know. What about you, Thierry? Are you feeling uh, positive? No, I... I... I've I've certainly got that impression as well. I don't know, like that somehow 2020 also sounds like we've arrived in the future. I don't know why 2010 didn't, but 2020 sounds like more the kind of era that you might have dreamed of as a child when we know we, we would have the flying cars, which we still don't have, really. There's there's some people working on it, but still no flying cars in the sky. But yeah, no, definitely. It's, it, it feels like there's a lot to be tackled and a lot to be done. And yeah, I'm excited. Yeah, no, I think it'd be good. It's probably something about 2020 vision as well. It feels like you can see clearer, doesn't it? And actually, funnily enough, that's the theme yeah. of our um, our next event after main event. After we've got this GCVI summit in California at the end of at the end of uh, January, we then think about our sort of June conference, June three to four symposium, and theme for that is Vision 2020. I I don't know where the inspiration came for for that now. <laughs> it's all thanks to Tim. I'm actually. sure you know if you asked our marketing team, they could they could show you the plan of uh, all the brainstorming they did for that one. <laughs> I know. It's like I think it took Tim and uh, Dan about 30 seconds, and then they went down the pub. Actually, <laughs> <laughs> that sounds like a good meeting. <laughs> I know. I know. I wish I was at that meeting as well. Actually, so anyway, what's the big news? What's uh, what what kind of caught your eye? Back in the fresh, you know, new fold, new year, and all that. What's the what are the big ones? Well, we still have, well, we, we do have some big numbers to kick off the year. Zomato has kicked off a funding round expected to reach $500 million by raising $150 million to start with from existing investor and financial at a $3 billion valuation. Cash will help it in its ongoing battle against domestic rival Swiggy for supremacy in India's online food ordering sector. So overall funding now stands at $840 million and Unfinancial owns more than a quarter of the company's shares. Yeah, fascinating, isn't it? It always feels like you've misheard when you say Zomato, doesn't it, rather than Tomato? But, but I don't yeah, know if you say Zomato or Zomato, actually. Which do you reckon? You say Zomato, I say Zomato. <laughs> so, you know, let's call the whole thing off. <laughs> I know, I know. I couldn't, I couldn't resist. I'm so sorry. It's, it was <laughs> like I should have scripted that, but actually it was completely out. Um, Completely thoughtless. But um, anyway, yeah, no, it is a good deal. It's interesting, actually, in that whole sort of swigger, which I think is backed by um, the sort of the the, the alternative parallel nexus uh, of sort of NASPA's stroke process, as they've now been renamed, and uh, and sort of Tencent. So I think when you think about food delivery, sort of ants trying to go tomato, tomato, and, uh, and sort of the sort of NASPA's and others are going down that. And it's been a big area, actually, that whole, Food delivery and online food ordering. There's been some, you know, some some a great deal of sort of consolidation starting to happen. I think this year and for the next few years there'll be more of concentration. We've seen some great valuations for Grubhub, but they they're eyeing a consolidation in the UK. One of the big listed food delivery companies is potentially going to be acquired by Process Stroke Naspers, and um, I think we'll see a bit more. But this is a big valuation, a big round, and Ant Financial is certainly laying a market that it's not going to go quietly into Greece um, in terms of what its plans are around corporate venture. Yeah, quite interesting. Who would have thought that, you know, a 
chippy or Chinese would be worth three billion dollars. That's <laughs> I know. It's like yeah, the the sort of the crazy folks on their sort of scooters, you know, bicycles zooming around to live in it. It's like how is a business which basically relies on that level of sweat worth that amount? But yeah, obviously it is. Yeah, obviously it is. Well, we also have news from our old friend SoftBank Vision Fund, which has reportedly pulled out of a series of large-scale investments in companies including Honor, Seismic, and Creator in recent months, despite signing term sheets. The decisions appear to have been taking place in the wake of WeWork's failure to float in the autumn, but could just as easily be due to a general slowdown in investments due to the second Vision Fund still not being anywhere near its initial $100 billion target. Oh, yeah, I mean, certainly the sort of the soft bang in the Vision Fund was the story of the second half of the, the teens and uh, the amount of money that they put out uh, in a, basically between 2016 and midpoint of 2019 was uh, phenomenal. And, you know, if you go back 10 years ago, the average total in the global venture capital industry was set to 30, 40 billion and sort of SoftBank alone was doing that each year for in many ways. And so, you know, the fact that its model was baked into raising the second vision fund pretty you know, quickly was, you know, was what Massa Yoshison, you know, said at the time. And the fact that they've not really, you know, been able to convince that many people so far, you know, to commit specifically to the second vision fund is, you know, is obviously causing a little bit of sort of a pile up or constipation, perhaps we can call it in terms of their deal flow. But, uh, you know, it's not great news for, for the entrepreneurs who start to kind of count on these things or then have to go back at different valuations to different people who probably wouldn't have given as much as SoftBank. And we've obviously seen another bounce of that particular ball fall, you know, after the WeWork challenge, perhaps if we call it that, if it's failed IPO. With the fact that, um, you know, a number of other, you know, SoftBank's Vision Fund portfolio companies have struggled as well. They've had some good successes, notably Flipkart, you know, had a good exit last year, or so a year before, I should say now, now we're in 2020. But, uh, you know, but on the whole, I think people have still, still got the jury out a little bit in terms of the sort of the, the strategy of investing so much so quickly. It's going to be a close run thing. I mean, these companies are big. They've got a lot of money still. Uh, they can be very valuable, but whether they're quite as valuable as as anticipated is is the I'm going to say hundred billion dollar question, Thierry. <laughs> Nicely done, Jim. Yeah, I've got my form today. I should do this more often. <laughs> <laughs> well, slightly better news came from Internet of Things security provider Armis, which has agreed to a one point one billion dollar acquisition by Inside Partners, in which Alphabet's Capital G unit is set to provide a hundred billion dollars. The France-based company had disclosed $112 million in funding as of a $65 million Series C round last year, though none of its VC investors were corporates. No word on how much of an increase the $1.1 billion figure represents from its valuation in its last round. Yeah, fascinating. Actually, it's one one of these uh, companies that has many parents. They always say success brings many uh, many parents to light and failure is, uh, is an orphan. But uh, this has certainly seen the case because I've seen sort of it being called an Israel-based company, a US-based company, and a France-based company. So uh, where exactly its heart lies might be a different thing. But certainly, given that Insight Partners set up a sort of Israel unit and uh, they were a very big US-based company, doesn't really matter because I think it's certainly going to be pulled towards uh, 
towards that new master in some ways. And the fact that Capital G is prepared to become a minority investor in a sort of big buyout type target is really fascinating as well. I think we're starting to see this joining up and it's going to be definitely be one of the themes of not just this year, but this decade is, um, is this issue around how the public and private capital markets start to join up. We've seen the public capital markets trying to take on the private equity leverage buyout strategy, you know, take more gearing on, improve the sort of the efficiency of the sort of the capital and the balance sheet, sort of use debt to sort of reduce your tax bill and become basically a bit leaner and sort of drive management a bit harder. Public companies have done that. Now we started to then see public corporations invest in venture capital and some private equity now in capital G as a minority shareholder. And then we started to see the public companies try and use the corporate venture capital model to take minority stakes in other listed companies and sort of across shareholders. And I think what you start to get across is what effectively five, even 10 years ago was very sort of siloed, sort of effective principles of how to run a public company, how to run a private large company, how to use multiple shareholders to run sort of smaller, faster growing companies. And, you know, it's relatively sort of defined. And I think that division is breaking down. It's become a lot more porous as people say, what do we need to do at different stages for different types of business to drive value in the incremental place, you know, and ideally get it to much bigger, more scalable. And it's this this armistice deal is a fantastic way to start the year because that theme, that that view is very much on the top of mind of all the big VC corporate, you know, and private equity shops of how they how they find and drive value in the world where effectively capital is so liquid, it's so fungible that that is not the defining characteristic, even though SoftBank tried to prove otherwise. The defining characteristic is how do you help at different stages and the efficient, effective balance sheet and capital is just part of that equation. It's the question here will be will insight and capital G stroke alphabet be able to add value to armies? And you've got to say, given their track records, yes. <laughs> yeah. I know it's certainly a theme that's come up a lot on the podcast, how how the different types of capital might emerge and behave in the in the coming years. And I don't know if we've really seen anything like the Armist deal before. I certainly can't think of one that we might have discussed uh, on the podcast before. So it is, it's a fascinating, a fascinating deal. Yeah, very well chosen, Jerry. Good, good stuff. What about university? Any good crossover stuff there? Well, yes, we have Soul Machines, which is a soul as in, you know, the bit that apparently contains your humanity, not the soul as in alone. Uh, a New Zealand-based AI-powered avatar platform spun out of University of Auckland has received $40 million in a Series B round featuring the Institution's Inventors Fund. The round was led by Singapore's Tomasek and also included Salesforce Ventures, the investment arm of Salesforce, as well as Daimler Financial Services, the financial and mobility services subsidiary of the carmaker. Soul Machines has developed a platform for clients to generate emotionally responsive brand-aware avatars that exploit AI to interact with customers in the same way a human representative would. It's quite difficult to describe this by sound, but if you're wondering just how realistic those avatars could be, co-founder Mark Sagan is not only an associate professor at Auckland, he has actually received two Oscars, one for capturing and rendering facial motion, and one for turning facial motion capture into more realistic animations. Something I don't get to say every day. 
Well, certainly as a bit of a film buff, uh, Thierry, uh, it, it's, you've probably seen some of his films. You might have even watched the Oscars ceremony, so I know you are. Well, one of the f- big ones that he worked on was Avatar, which I think everyone has seen, so... <laughs> <laughs> but that would make sense. I could see how he won that Oscar, actually. <laughs> that, would, uh, that would definitely do it. Uh, um, but, uh, yeah, it's a fascinating area. I kind of think this whole issue around sort of not just digital twins, you know, through sort of AI and... Uh, and particularly through the sort of virtual reality, augmented reality place. But, you know, it's just this sort of creation of what is you to go to the soul piece, you know, versus what is your life on a digital or in a sort of uh, second life platform. You know, think of Fortnite, you know, the sort of gaming company. And, you know, what they're trying to create is very much what people were thinking about in the mid-90s, if you read Neil Stevenson's book, Snow Crash, you know, it's, you know, some of the sort of concepts and ideas that we're talking about there or, you know, in other books in that sort of mid-90s period to, to now it's starting to happen sort of, you know, 20, 30 years later. You know, they're trying to get to that place. But it is it is amazing. And I don't think people quite grasp, uh, you know, the fact that uh, they, the you from a digital twin can always be on or how does this be or how do you switch it off or how do they get hacked or terminated and, versus just keeping you alive, versus keeping multiple versions of you alive, effectively, in an online world, you know, is uh, it's going to be slightly mind-bending for, I think, a few people. Yeah, yeah, I definitely can see how that would... Uh, I mean, it's, it's sort of screwing with my mind, even if you just go and look at the examples on their website, and it's almost scary how realistic these these avatars look, and it's, you know, amazing, and also, I don't know, a part of me is slightly apprehensive about where we're going, but, you know, I'm not going to stop the future. It's a sign <laughs> of age, Jerry. It's a sign you've hit your 30s. It is the sign of age. <laughs> I'm sure if you were a teenager, you wouldn't be worried about this so much, but uh, you've obviously hit your That is true. I, I, I'm, I'm not quite as, as uh, far as Elon Musk yet warning everyone about AI, but, uh, yeah, some of these things are uh, I'm slightly apprehensive about. Well, he's now got his new, much younger model, um, sort of uh, apparently pregnant again. So, uh, yeah, we'll we'll see what uh, what she thinks of it. Well, yes, <laughs> I'll let you do the news and briefs. What's been the exciting, what exciting sort of mess of the news, Thierry? Well, with the deals we have, Quibi or Quibi, I'm not sure how to pronounce this, has to be one of the most eagerly awaited pre-launch startups in history, and its leaders revealed last week it will launch its 10-minute or less streaming platform in April with contributors including Guillermo del Toro, Jennifer Lopez, and Liam Hemsworth. They also disclosed it has secured another $400 million in funding from unnamed investors, adding to a billion dollars already supplied by the likes of Disney, Warner Brothers, Entertainment One, Alibaba, and Sony Pictures Entertainment. Fitness and wellness subscription service ClassPass has meanwhile raised $285 million in a Series E round, that lifted its valuation to the billion-dollar mark. Alphabet's GV is among the investors, but the latest funding came in a round co-led by L. Catterton and IPAX Digital, with additional participation from Tamasic. ClassPass has now received $540 million in funding since being founded all the way back in 2013. And further along the line is Bijou's, reportedly now the world's most valuable VC-backed edtech company which has just received $200 million in funding from Tiger Global Management at a valuation of about $8 billion. That's an increase in valuation of nearly 40%, that is 
in just six months and has to be good news for existing backers and corporates Naspers, Tencent and Bennett, Coleman and Co. Hisai has received $173 million in Series C funding in a round it claims to be the largest ever for a LIDAR system developer. Robert Bosch co-led the round two years after the company took part in his automotive AI accelerator in China, while On Semiconductor also contributed to capital. The transaction brought the company's overall financing to $233 million, and its existing investors include Baidu, which co-led a $40 million Series B round just over 18 months ago. Ziyun Health, developer of a chronic disease management platform, has secured a total of $144 million across Series C Plus and D rounds. The investors, including Samsung, SIG Asia, and China Electronics Corporation affiliate OP Financial. The deal followed a $100 million Series C round featuring CLP, Tazli, Peng'an and Health 100 that closed early last year. Business accounting software provider High Radius is now valued at more than a billion dollars, having raised $125 million in a Series B round featuring City Ventures and Susquehanna Growth Equity. Both took part as existing backers and the round was led by Iconic Capital, the multifamily office. The couch will support technology development and an expansion into new markets. SciSense, the creator of a data amplification tool for app developers and business analysts, has increased its valuation to more than a billion dollars as well, securing a hundred billion dollars from investors, including Access Industries subsidiary Cloudtech. The round also expanded the company's total funding to approximately $300 million and was led by Insight Partners. And Transcenter Holdings, the biopharmaceutical company formed through the merger of HJB and Mapspace Biosciences, both backed by Lily Asia Ventures, has also raised $100 million in a Series B Plus round that included the Eli Lilly-affiliated venture firm. It'll put the proceeds towards a pipeline of drug candidates, including osteoporosis treatment that's just passed through Phase 2 trials. Then we have Canadian Imperial Bank of Commerce, which has chipped into a $73 million Series C round for digital accounting software provider Receipt Bank. The round was led by Inside Partners, the venture firm that has invested $50 million in Receipt Bank in 2017, and the cash will fund growth across Europe, North America and Australia. And Clearcover has become the latest online insurance portal to raise substantial funding pulling in $50 million through a Series C round featuring Cox Enterprises and American Family Ventures, both participating as existing shareholders. The round took clear covers total funding to $104 million in under four years, and the proceeds will support the doubling of its staff numbers as it looks to stretch its offering across the US. Looking at funds, we have US-based tyre manufacturer Goodyear Tyre and Rubber Company, which has launched a $100 million corporate venture capital vehicle known as Goodyear Ventures at CES. Goodyear produces a range of vehicle tyres in addition to running service centres and providing synthetic rubber and chemical products. It already operates innovation centres in the US and Luxembourg, my homeland, way, and has so far not been active in corporate venturing. The newly formed fund will concentrate on automotive technologies. India-based poultry product supplier IB Group has formed a $28 million strategic investment fund. IB's central business focuses on its chicken and egg supply, though it has diversified into areas such as livestock feed, pet food, solvents and hospitality. The newly formed vehicle will however concentrate on the company's core business, investing in startups in the poultry and agriculture space. IB will also offer farm management training for portfolio 
companies. Looking at exits, we have MegV, which has received regulatory approval to float in Hong Kong and reportedly expects to raise about $500 million in the IPO. Alibaba and its Ant Financial affiliate own upwards of 29% of the image recognition software provider, which was valued at $4 billion as of its last funding round in May. It has raised a total of $1.9 billion in funding, and its other investors include Foxconn, Lenovo and Sunshine Insurance. And One Medical has filed to go public, having raised a total of $400 million in primary funding from investors including Alphabet's GV unit. The primary care provider has set a placeholder target of $100 million that will almost certainly increase by the time it sets the terms. GV owns a 5.4% stake in One Medical, whose largest investor is Carlyle Group, the asset manager that acquired a 26.8% stake through a $350 million primary and secondary transaction in 2018. And finally, looking at the comings and goings, and there were quite a few with the year ending and people moving on to new jobs, starting with Venita Agawala, who has left her venture partner position at GV and joined venture capital firm Andreessen Horowitz as a general partner. Darren Carroll, former senior vice president of corporate business development at pharmaceutical firm Eli Lilly for 22 years, has resurfaced after a sabbatical as a partner at venture capital firm Polaris Partners, and Michael Brandkamp, formerly managing director of Hightech Gründerfonds, a German state and corporate-backed venture capital fund, has left to become a general partner at the new European Circular Bioeconomy Fund to be established in Luxembourg. Ries Schroeder, formerly managing director of Tyson Ventures, meat producer Tyson Foods corporate venture capital arm, has joined insurance firm Allstate Strategic Ventures Unit as an investor. Schroeder has been replaced by Erin van Landewit, who joined Tyson Ventures last month from consumer goods producer S.C. Johnson, as you might recall. Hiroshi Saiju has joined Japan headquartered Kamiga Toyota as Vice President of Business Development and Strategy at its Research Institute Advanced Development Division. Saiju had previously been CEO and then Chairman of motorized vehicle manufacturer Yamaha's corporate venturing unit, Yamaha Motor Ventures and Laboratory Silicon Valley, from 2015. Corporate venturing veteran Victor Pascucci has set up a strategic venture capital firm dubbed Energy Capital Ventures, or ECV, that will concentrate on the power and energy utility industry. The formation of ECV comes after three years as managing partner for VC firm Lightbank, a role that followed nearly a decade in corporate VC at financial services provider USAA until 2015, 11 months at VC consultancy Attraction Ventures, and 8 months as a partner at Munich Re Ventures, part of the reinsurance firm. Then we have Mark Brooks, Associate Director of Innovation and Strategic Partnerships at US-based Association of International Certified Professional Accountants, who will join corporate venture capital unit Syngenta Ventures in mid-January. Syngenta Ventures, of course, is the corporate venturing arm of the Switzerland-based agribusiness Syngenta, which has been a subsidiary of Chinese state-owned enterprise ChemChina since 2017. Ken Asada, Managing Director at Entity Docoma Ventures, the corporate venturing unit owned by Japan-based mobile network operator Entity Docoma, has left the company. The move came ahead of a forthcoming move to Salesforce Ventures, Salesforce's corporate venture capital vehicle, next month. Asada had spent less than a year at NDV, having joined in January from Intel Capital, the investment arm of chipmaker Intel. 
And finally, Andre Benin has been appointed managing director of New You Venture Partners, an education-focused venture fund formed by online higher education provider Western Governors University. The fund aims to improve college education access and quality by investing in products and business models that intersect with the learning-to-earning life cycle. The fund will operate as a subsidiary of the corporation of WGU, a non-profit arm of the university. And that is it for this week's edition of the Global Venturing Review Podcast. As always, though, do head on over to globalcorporateventuring.com, globaluniversityventuring.com, and globalimpactventuring.com check up on everything else that we didn't have time to cover in this podcast. And there are quite a few things as deals have started building back up after the holiday period. If you do have any feedback, feel free to email me at thehelis at globaluniversityventuring.com. That is T-H-E-L-E-S at globaluniversityventuring.com. You can also leave us a review on iTunes, SoundCloud, or rate us preferably five stars. And don't forget to recommend us to your friends and colleagues. And thank you very much to all those of you that have already done so. With that, all that's left for me is to wish you a productive week and I will speak to you again next Monday. Goodbye. Global Venturing Review was produced by In-Ear Production. You can find out more by going to inearproduction.com.